Hi Gunnar, welcome back. Hey Adam, thanks again for having me. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. So today, today is a ghost show. So we had already two phantom problems here. What Don't is take, now? Our, everything will be good. Yeah. What is Casey Cuttle? Casey Cuttle, right? So I'm I'm so glad you asked, Adam. So yeah. Casey Cuttle, it's, <laughs> it's a surprise. It's a command line client for Kafka Connect. So you are a user of Kafka Connect, right? Um, so you know you need to interact usually with Kafka Connect with the REST API. So if you want to register a connector or start a connector or stop a connector, you do all those REST calls. Or you use something like uh, Strimzy, a Kubernetes operator, if you are in Kubernetes. Um, but yes, yeah, so if you are using this REST API, I figured, well, that's really cumbersome. It's error-prone to use. And this is what um, Casey Cuttle seeks to address. So it's a command line client for Kafka Connect. And it comes with all the commands you would need for setting up connectors, pausing them, getting the logs, um, um, seeing just the connector status, all those kinds of things. And <clears throat> it comes with um, auto-completion. So that's very nice. So if you um, are on the CLI and you, you, know, you do a tab, it will display the matching commands, will display the matching connector names, it will even fetch the information dynamically. So it gives you a very easy to use um, interaction experience with um, Kafka Connect. Okay, so what you did, you wrapped the REST endpoints, the REST interfaces from Kafka Connect, right? Exactly right. So it is, uh, it's a Quarkus-based application, by the way. Um, it takes the Kafka Connect REST APIs. And then this actually also allows for some nice usability improvements because, well, over time, new APIs were added to uh, the Kafka Connect REST API, right? So for instance, in 3.0, I believe they added an API, which lets you get the um, information or the logs, I'm not quite sure, of multiple connectors at once. Whereas in earlier versions, you would have to iterate and you would have to run multiple REST calls to do the same and now all those kind of things we can of course take care of and then it's the same command in casey cuttle um, no matter what the underlying rest api version is and and you said you used uh quarkus what you used for the rest uh, rest communication mp rest client uh, yes, exactly. So it's the, uh, it is, I believe, to be honest, uh, but yeah, it should be the microprofile REST client, yes. Interesting, because uh, my first choice would be JDK 11, HTTP client. Okay, yes, um, I guess I could do that. Uh, probably it doesn't matter, to be honest, we don't have many specific requirements around the REST API. We need to do authentication um, that works, I guess. Oh, okay. I'll do that mm -hmm. with the OpenJDK client. Um, it was just what, you know, what was offered to me in the Quarkus documentation, so that's what I went with. So, so the, the Casey Cattle is just, I would say, it is a proper Quarkus application with dependency right. injection? involved so yes exactly so it uses this other framework called pico cli um, which is everything but pico but it's a very powerful mm -hmm. library and api for implementing um, cli applications and yes so there we get then for instance i don't know dependencies injected into those commands um things like a context um stuff like that so yes it works with um dependency injection so interesting right this is like almost like a server application but this command line i mean you have dependency injection like on mprs client and yeah Quarkus and yeah right <clears throat> in terms of the uh, um architecture yeah maybe in a way and then of course it's compiled down into a native binary via gralrium right so yeah. that's what you want to have in particular if you do this tab completion and it needs to invoke the actual uh, command to get for instance the connector names so for that we need to be very very fast otherwise it would be a sluggish experience and well, compiling into a native binary, we have that. So you have this instantaneous um, feedback, and it's a very nice experience, I would say, to use it. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how you use Quarkus? So uh, 
I mean, this is not the default setup, other because it would just start and run the entire time, right? So it is like you use the you started Quarkus with the main method, right? By yourself. Yes, um, we do that, but uh, I don't think you even would have to do that um, because there is this uh, Quarkus extension for Pico CLI, which lets ah, you build a okay. command line client with um, okay. Quarkus. So that's um, you know takes care then of uh, taking the main method and not starting the HTTP server and, and this kind of thing. But yes, we do have a main method because we want to customize some sort of error handlers and stuff like that in uh, in our application. But you wouldn't have to do it. Yeah, this is exactly what what I do actually. I uh, start Quarkus with the main method, and uh -huh. uh, and then run the server. And uh, I d didn't use the Picos here. I just Quarkus plain, but it also worked well. So and this is yeah. it behaves like I was a server side application because dependency injection everything works as as you like. But it right. doesn't start, you know, the HTTP endpoint. Uh, the, exactly. Yeah, it is not a and, server anymore. Mm -hmm. And if you use this extension, you also have a better um, editing experience, I would say, because you, I mean, you know this Quarkus dev mode, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this also supports uh, building CLI applications. So what you then, for instance, can do, you start it in dev mode, then you enter your command. So I don't know, in my case, I would do get connectors uh, or get, um, you know, restart task, whatever I would like to, to work on. And then uh, it will run that command once for me. I do a code change and I just need to hit enter and it would run the same command again for me. Or I could run another uh, command. But oh, that's I, interesting. This is a two yes. true benefits. So if you use the Pico CLI extension and didn't exactly thought about right. that, uh, exactly then, right. then you can just it would run in the development loop all the time, and I can edit. This is actually great. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. So you have a really good dev experience. I would say you get very quick feedback, um, and just as fun to, you know, build applications that way. I would say. And the thing is, so usually, as, as you know, we spoke about last time. I work on Debezium most of the times, right? And I'm not a user of Debezium. I mean, I don't have the need to. I don't deploy Kafka and Kafka Connect myself, right? Um, whereas here with with Casey Cuttle, I am actually the user of the tool because, well, I want to test Debezium and I want to, uh, you know, build demos with Connect yeah. and so on. So I can use Casey Cuttle myself, and that is just a nice uh, experience for me because, well, I see, okay, there's this feature which I would like to have, or there's this usability glitch so let me fix it and it's just an enjoyable experience um, to build something which i actually can use myself so this is actually uh, what, what it means for me that casey cattle is more usable and uh, a higher quality than the Bezium, right because well <laughs> I, I did not say that no i wouldn't say that <laughs> but speaking of that i mean what we do want to do is uh, we may actually add some debezium specific functionality even to casey cattle um so for instance um if you are using the mysql connector in debezium there is this history topic right which takes care of or which stores the schema history and now this schema history just can grow a lot and then re, uh, if you restart the connector this can take quite some time because it needs to reread the entire um, history and maybe there's old entries which we don't even care about any longer so there's the idea to have some sort of um, compaction functionality for the schema history and this then could again be another feature in Casey Cuttle and it would expose that um, Debezium specific mm -hmm. functionality to you. How you tackle the rest rest thing? So is it like uh, you are using not reflection but you are exploring the rest interface or all the paths are hard coded? So you know how to Yes, it's it. it's it's everything is hard coded. I mean the you know the rest API and connect it's not huge um, so yes yeah. we have um 
there's an in um, the way it works you define interface with the methods you need to annotate them a little bit you define the return types or the parameters so to match the api and that's what we go with okay so pragmatic and um what um because i i think also about cli a lot so i've write a lot cli client for myself uh -huh. for various tasks and actually uh if you're writing cli clients which are extensible yes. J jpms could make sense right Oh, yes. I mean, that's a very interesting question. So far, we did not have that need. Um, you know, every, all the commands, they are built into KC Cuttle mm -hmm. itself. Um, but yes. So if you wanted to have some sort of plugin functionality, yes, then you looking at JPMS and maybe module layers, actually, this would be a very interesting uh, capability. Because I thought, um, so what you usually need, you know, uh, like the code completion. Yeah. Code completion? How to co is it code completion in, in CLI, not code completion? Command completion, maybe? So tap, yeah, I call it tab completion. Tab completion. Uh, the uh, tab completion and whatever functionality is, it could be a core, you know, You're and right. the JPMS modules could bring their own functionality. So yes. the core could ask, you know, give me your completions or whatever, and then call as a command pattern. Right. So I thought about this a lot because... Um, in my microservice cloud or server-side world, there's no no room for JPMS. I mean, it, it's not needed. But yeah. uh, for CLI, it is it should mm -hmm. actually work perfectly, right? Yes, I mean, the thing to keep in mind is, so right now, I don't think JPMS is really supported in CrawlVM native binaries, yeah. right? Which yeah. means your CLI tool will be a bit slower to start up. And really for CLI, every millisecond matters, right? So if it takes, I don't know, um, 300 milliseconds to start, you will notice this and that could uh, could be a problem. Ah, yeah, right. Uh, what's also different in your case is uh, that uh, every command starts the CLI again, right? Exactly right. So, that so th start that's the difference. The yes. Yeah, because if you run it once, that no, no one cares yeah. because it's fast enough. So what I yeah. usually did, if I was lazy, I just created Superjar or Uberjar in yeah. Quarkus, and this yeah. was good enough. And then, right. you know, because and then wrap it in a shell, and it was good because it starts yeah. in half a second and no one cares. And uh, but so it, to be on, Yeah. No, no, sorry, go ahead. And in your case, it's a different because... Um, or wait a sec. Casey Cattle runs all the time, right? Because if you've got code completion, tab completion inside Casey Cattle, so it already runs. Oh, no, no, no. That's the thing. So if you do tab completion, um, so there's two ways how it can happen. So there's a completion script and uh, all the commands and all the command flags, they are obtained from that uh, completion flag, uh, com from, from that completion script. So we uh, don't have any interaction. But then if we uh, do a completion, uh, sometimes we need to get, uh, let's say, the names of the connectors. So there's exactly. a command called kccuttle describe connector. Mm -hmm. And if you do tap at that point in time, it should suggest you the uh, connector names, which actually exist. And this is why we need to start that fast, because when we do a tap completion at that point in time, then it will start KC Cuttle and it will invoke like a special command, which you usually cannot invoke by yourself to just give the completion, which tells you about the existing connectors. Yeah, you're right. So you need, you know, GraalVM for sure. Otherwise it would be too yes. sluggish. Okay. Exactly right. So th this would be too slow, but still, I think you could build uh, something extensible. I mean, you could have, you could think about having multiple binaries, right? And think about using, uh, I don't know, this Unix domain socket support, which recently got added in Java. Yeah, but this is and overkill. You, would... you know, with the JPMS would be a really a killer use case for that. Yeah, maybe, yeah. 
<coughs> I, I'm searching for because it's one of the question now uh, whether I'm using JPMS and right now I, I have to say no because I'm not using it. But uh, but uh, for that it could be beneficial. But you're right. Uh, if you do it right with GraalVM, then then it's problematic. Yeah. And we built uh, KC Cuttle for all the three big platforms, so for Windows, for um, Linux, and macOS. And Andres Almire, you know him, right? Yeah. He did a great job with his J-Releaser project to help us automating all that. So whenever we push a commit to the KC Cuttle repo, it will build preview binaries for all the three platforms, and you can get the latest binaries, like the next minute, from, from GitHub. And it will also be available in SDK, man. Uh, maybe I even get to it over the weekend to set that up. Oh, nice. And then we will have, uh, you know, an easy way to install it over SDK. Man. But wasn't the deal that you had to rewrite the case in, in Groovy then? If, if uh, Andres... If Andres works... Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you could think that. Uh, no, so far he he, uh, well, he didn't make a push for that. Yet. There was a defined print, you know. I only releasing Groovy projects. So this was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he has been so helpful. I'm really very thankful for all his help with the release stuff. It's it's uh, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like a command client done right because uh, this is a lot to do. Actually, what you did. So um, you know, you use Quarkus with Pico CLI in order to have the yeah. uh, the uh, GraalVM support, of course, for command and nice, you know, uh, argument arguments parsing and right. uh, and dev mode in Quarkus. Then, of course, the REST endpoints were hard coded. There are not a lot of them. Perfect, but what happens behind the scenes is you get the tab completion. So what you're doing, you are invoking Casey Cattle again to get right. con connector names, and then it has to be fast, right? Exactly right, yes. And uh, for me, it's a very nice validation also that you can build modern CLIs uh, using Java, right? I mean, there always was this sort of, um, I don't know, pre um, uh, prejudice, you couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, but this really has changed, right? So now with this uh, tool chain of Quarkus, CrawlVM, all those kind of things, you get to build um, CLIs in Java, which give you a very good uh, user experience. And I mean, the binary, it's not super small. Um, I, I believe it's like 40 megabytes or something. Um, so yes, it would probably be a bit smaller if you were to use uh, Golang or Rust or whatever. But then, I mean, who cares, right? So you just like, 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 like iPhone picture, right? So like a single picture is your API. Yeah, so who cares, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so this doesn't matter. And uh, you have all those nice APIs, which we are familiar with. So I believe that's a very valid option for building command line APIs. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know whether you know Python or other scripting language, if you compare this, what you did with Java to... Are you familiar with Python? Uh, a little bit, not that much. No, or something else. I'm also just Java and JavaScript. But um would be interesting to see um, you know, compare your code with Python code, let's say. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, but in terms of the code, to be honest, it's not that complex. There's. They, I know that. I, I like. I like Java, but I hear you know all the time Python is easier. I don't believe oh, that. But it would be. It would be interesting. You know, if you would know Python, yeah. you could say, okay, uh, this were the problem with Java. But as as you said, now we have a you no know, native uh, a native solution to uh, and and yeah. Right. It's nice, yeah. Regarding JavaScript, I, I mentioned JavaScript. What I actually did as a plugin model, uh -huh. uh, GraalVM supports JavaScript. Oh, yeah. Okay. And what I did is I loaded dynamically, or dynamically, the JavaScript code because it's some things are easier. So I did, uh -huh. you know, um, like uh, templates or, or string manipulation, stuff like that. I did in JavaScript. And then you can... Okay cross-compile it to GraalVM uh, anyway, mm -hmm. to a native image, or to GraalVM oh, to a native image. So this could be an option that you can right. actually load a dynamic language and use it mm -hmm. as an extension point. 
just to be careful, you don't uh, get, run into any issues like with Log4j, where you take code by the user and you execute, right? So that's no, uh, uh, Log4j. <laughs> uh, with Log4j, you, we have the plugins, right? So if you run Log4j in Casey Cattle, you could actually extend at runtime everything. Yes, and I could give ownership <laughs> over my system to everybody else, probably. <laughs> <laughs> to Casey Brutal, maybe. No, not, not Kettle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, and, um, not user script rather than, you know, uh, something which, uh, uh, I mean, just simplification of the thing. But this is really useful, and this is really easy with Graal. You're just adding uh -huh. additional uh, um, library, and then you can okay, from Java talk to JavaScript. And what you can also do, you can implement a Java interface with JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And is it then still uh, just in time compiled? I suppose. Uh, it's a native image, yeah. It works. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I need to need to check that out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, th this sounds great. I mean, this is super useful. It has to be su super super popular as well, right? Well, so it's growing, right? Um, so there is a small community, I would say, which has formed around it. So several people have contributed. So for instance, uh, one, uh, somebody is working on displaying the connector offsets. So that's something which comes up all the time. People would like to see the source offsets of a connector like Debezium, or maybe reset the source offset of such a connector. And this is also something which we will add. And yes, it's uh, not me who uh, implements it, but it's people from the community. And yes, I have seen it. Uh, people use it in demos. Uh, somebody wrote an article around it. Um, so yes, I would say there's some some uptick around it. So already 125 stars, which is not bad. This is, uh, and uh, the, um, on GitHub is KC Cartel, right? Which is a great name, and uh, so <laughs> you have actually a good feeling for useful libraries. I have to say, uh, it's nice. Cool, great, great. That's uh, I'm happy to hear. I mean, you know, this really was to how do you say to scratch my own itch. Um, I, you know, when I test TV connectors or I build demos, I always had to work with curl or HTTP. And well, now as I have that uh, CLI, I just feel okay. It's so much easier and um, it's just much more enjoyable. Um, yeah, so that's why I build it. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Um, what's your next pet project? Because, I mean, <laughs> Casey Cuddle is not enough. Um, right. There's another thing, and um, this is in relation to the JDK flight recorder. Yes. Um, so I'm a big fan of that, and it gives you all the deep insight into your JVM metrics, right? Like, mm -hmm. what is its garbage collection doing? What is, uh, what's the object allocations, um, class loading, I.O., and so on. So you can examine all those performance characteristics using um, JDK Flight Recorder, or JFR for short. And uh, one of the things I've been built adjacent to that is a project called JFR Unit. Mm -hmm. And uh, JFR unit, essentially, it's an extension to JUnit 5, which lets you run assertions on um, JFR events. And the idea is to use those JFR events and the assertions you do on those JFR events to identify potential performance um, regressions in your application. So let's say um, there's a metric like object or memory allocations, right? So it, uh, the, uh, the, and this also, by the way, got uh, substantially improved recently in, in Java 16, where you can really can track continuously how much memory your application um, allocates. And now the idea is, so your application, it has specific use cases, right? Let's say there's one use case for placing a new purchase order in your e-commerce e application. And the idea is, well, you keep track of how much uh, memory this use case allocates, 
And now if there's a regression, so maybe suddenly it allocates 10 times as much memory for the same use case, then this could be an indicator that something is uh, going wrong. Or let's say it does suddenly 10 times more IO with the database than it used to do before. So this is uh, something to look into. Maybe you're you know, running way more SQL statements and so on. And that's exactly the idea. So you can um, track those metrics and then you can use JFR unit to run assertions against those metrics and your tests would fail if you had such a regression. So if there was suddenly much more IO than before. For Super you. useful. Um, what I'm usually doing very similar, uh, but uh, differently. So what we have is uh, system tests and uh -huh. uh, what the system tests are doing like a black box t test for microservices. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a microservice and it exposes REST interface, and we have another module, complete different, uh, um, isolated different module. In Quarkus, there are two Quarkus projects. One is the main service project, and the other one with me with MicroProfile REST client, like the Casey Cuttle project, right, mm -hmm. which accesses the other remotely. So, and we are performing the system tests, and then you know uh, some critical path you can easily test with executors and starting you know uh, something in a sequence and see how mm -hmm. it goes. And then what we do, uh, we are connect to the system uh, again using microprofile metrics. Mm -hmm. And then you can fetch, you know, the uh, the data, but this is basic data, it's not comparable with JFR. But you, would, mm -hmm. you can at least see whether, you know, we have the threshold is okay, is there any regression, does it mm -hmm. looks right? So you get uh, at least an idea how the system is working, whether it is working at all. Yeah. And uh, in yours, even finer grained because uh, um, what you can do is you can you can look into into the JVM and Absolutely. see what what happens. Exactly right. And so the the reason for building that was well, I mean, you know, we we do have regression tests. Uh, I would say it's a very um, stable and um, it's established practice for functional aspects, right? So you have unit tests and so on. And if a functional regression is there, you will find out about it. Or I would say you're don't you, you don't follow good development practices, but it's a bit different for performance regressions because setting up automated performance tests that's really tricky. Um, uh -huh. The reason is it depends on the specific uh, hardware and the specific environment, right? So let's say you measure an absolute metric like what's the latency of my requests or what's the throughput. This of course depends on the specific execution environment or how much load there is. So maybe you run those tests on a CI server. If there's other tests which also produce much load and uh, they run at the same time, then your own throughput will be reduced. So you just don't have a means of having those tests in a stable way. And this is exactly why JFR unit um, or the, the testing approach of JFR unit is not to assert those absolute um, performance metrics, but rather what we call proxy metrics, like allocations, like IO, or maybe like the SQL statements which my application executed. And then regressions in those proxy metrics, they are essentially an indicator that also there is an actual um, performance regression going on. Yeah, and uh, what's nice about that, that um, looking right now at the source code, of course, you introduce some uh, annotations. And yes, right. So, so this is like a, a test runner, I assume. This is the first one because it is JFR event test, and I assume this is the yes. test runner. And then you get access to the test class, so you are able to introduce interesting annotations like enable event. And, exactly right. Yeah, and um, so it means, and and how you uh, connect? So it has to be, of course, enabled, and you have to have a connection to the to the JVM running, right? 
So yes, um, right. So first of all, on, on, on those annotations, so they you use those to specify uh, what are the events or the event types you are interested in for mm -hmm. a particular test. And then what happens is um, that the uh, JFR unit extension will start a recording for those um, event types. And then since, I don't know, Java 14, I believe, there's this um, event streaming API. So this uh -huh. means you can get a real-time stream of the JFR events out of your um, JVM in process or even out of process. And that's what we use. So it does uh, start recording. It um, subscribes to this event stream, essentially. And then... Uh, you know, once the recording or the test has finished, um, or the code under test has finished, uh, we can then run those assertions and examine what events actually are there. So that's why if you look at the code, there's this await events barrier. This is there to make sure, okay, you know, everything before this was my code under test. And as all this is asynchronously, we need to just make sure we have captured all the events, all the events, and then you can run assertions against those. Uh, how you know whether they are your events, you know, because it could be there are some events before and some ev events after, right? Yes. Uh, so there's a specific event uh, which JFR unit emits itself. So this tells us the boundaries of the okay. uh, execution, essentially. So we discard anything after this, you know, JFR unit. Ah, this is smart. Event. So you are starting the test and send, uh, now I'm starting the test and you are waiting for your own event. And then you know, exactly. uh, this is a perfect. So this is actually a nice solution because I thought how, how you yeah. solved the problem. Since JDK 14, I don't know how, how long it is already ago. Yeah, I always wanted to uh, stream the JFR events into Kafka. Yes, for fun. Actually, this was I was like, I will do this. Yeah, sometime I will have to do this, and then I wanted to use Kafka streams to analyze for fun. You know what happens there? Yes. Okay, that's great. I, because that's exactly what. So I want to do some streaming analytics on JFR events. So I would yeah. like to have something like Kafka streams. Exactly. Uh, so I can do windowed uh, queries and so on, but. Maybe not necessarily going through Kafka. I mean, ideally, I could do this in a library within uh, Java itself, right? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. But we know with Kafka, we could use Quarkus and have more fun because usually, <laughs> yeah, uh, this would be like, you know, side project. Let's see yeah. uh, how it goes because uh, you get a lot of events for free. Yeah. And uh, right. usually, you know, uh, if you would like to test something, you don't have uh, events. Right. And I say, okay, in instead of, you no, know, I will... This will be some useful, useful experimentation. Definitely, but, uh, yeah. I, I would love to do that. Maybe we can team up on it. I don't know. I, I, I think that would be a we great. We need a mascot first, you know, like uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Jay. What's that with Jay? <laughs> Something with dinosaur or alligator. Because and I mean, there's there's so many ideas uh, around it. So I have also spoken to our performance engineers. So we have a very uh, um, established and a very uh, um, you know, um, mature performance testing team here at Red Hat, and they make sure all the Quarkus and the Hibernate performance and everything is up to date. And they are super interested in that um, because, well, they could use this, for instance, to identify performance regressions, uh, let's say also in, in Hibernate or M itself, right? Um, and so I have had some interesting discussions so, with them. One of the things we would like to add, for instance, would be keeping track of historical trends and historical uh, development. So let's say... You have some test and, I don't know, it does one kilobyte of database I.O. today. 
Now, tomorrow it does uh, one kilobyte and uh, 10 bytes more, right? Um, so that by itself is not a big uh, thing. But so let's say maybe this happens every day. So very slowly over time, uh, you have more and more I.O. But if you look at each change itself, it's not noticeable. But if you look at the results from half a year ago and compare them to the results from today, maybe then you would say, okay, that actually is a relevant regression and that's something we need to look into. And that's some of the things we would like to have, some sort of repository, um, you know, where you could gather the data and then you could also do um, historical trends analysis around the GFR events. What you should have, you should have adaptive assertions. Like, you know, you say um, we should not consume more than 10% of the CPU and then mm -hmm. you consumed five. So it's okay, this is your, uh, the assertion is way too, how to call it? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. How That's to lose. Exactly. Then you can, you can, you can, you can, uh, you can you know, adjust it 5% uh, right. down. Uh, exactly. th this could work, actually. Yes, yes, exactly. That's another motivation for this historical trend analysis. As you say, if you have improvements mm -hmm. right now with the assertions, you wouldn't know about them, right? And so if you are doing an improvement and then it's getting worse again, you wouldn't necessarily find out. And um, that's why having this historical analysis would be really cool. But then, as you said, you know, it's a side project, so I just am able to spend so much time on it. But I think it's a very powerful testing approach, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh... And JFR is actually great. I had um, in all the um, firefighting projects, mm -hmm. the uh, JFR was super useful because um, yeah. what we can also do, not stream in real time, uh, you can request the file afterwards. You know, They can record, exactly. you get the file, and, 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 and you can analyze the entire stack without being connected to the JVR. Exactly. It's also super useful. Yes. yes, and I should say that. So that's also used here. So... If you run such a test with JFR unit, it will also persist a recording file. And let's say now you have a test failure, an assertion failure, then you can load this uh, JFR recording into mission control and you can examine the entire thing and you can, for instance, uh, see then where this regression is happening, right? So let's say you suddenly have an assertion failure and there is much more allocations, much more IO or whatever. You could see quite easily in mission control where this is coming from. So you would be pointed to the places in the code which are responsible for such a regression. Oh, this is also smart. So what you are saying is that your, if you run your test, is also recorded with the JFR. Exactly right. And exactly. and then you can analyze your test afterwards, which is perfect because the test is actually the client, which drives the application, right? Exactly right. So yes, you, um, it makes really use of those uh, capabilities, right? For streaming, so just to implement the assertions in the test, but then you also have the persistent recording for offline analysis. Yeah, great. So um, and uh, we have also the project Larry. Which right. Uh, let's 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 talk about Larry in a second. But there's one more thing which I wanted to mention here on JFR Unit, and this is um, there is another project which is called JMC Agent. I'm not sure whether you have heard about that one. So as you said, there is lots of JMC uh, sorry JFR events built into the JVM itself, uh, like more than 150 event types. Mm -hmm. You can create your own custom events. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's say you have something specific to your application. You could create your own JFR event types. Mm -hmm. But then also with uh, this JMC agent, what you can do is you can instrument existing code to emit 
JFR events uh, on your behalf. And uh, just yesterday, I wrote a blog post or I published a blog post for the Java Advent blog where I show you how to use this for analyzing the SQL statements of your application. So what it does is it instruments essentially Hibernate ORM and it instruments the um, connection pool, a growl. And then whenever there's a SQL statement, it will emit a JFR event. And then again, you can use JFR unit to run assertions against it. And what this allows you, um, it Let's you find out if your test suddenly runs more SQL statements or it suddenly runs unexpected uh, SQL statements. And then again, you would be very easily, you, you could very easily find out, let's say you have something like an N plus one select, this kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, you could uh, find this out in your unit test actually. So uh, with that, you could actually even generate unit tests, right? Or at least scaffold unit tests. Because I guess. Yeah. Because if you have the information in the events from the application, in the, the SQL statements, and you know yeah. this is because now we narrow the context. We say, okay, this is now uh, Hibernate specific, and uh, right. so you know actually what to test. So, oh, you could actually at least scaffold the methods right. and, and yes, say, and okay, yeah. And, and, and yes, exactly. And, and I'm not sure, you know, whether you would want to verify each particular statement. Maybe that is a bit too, how do you say, too uh, fluctuant. But um, but you could have a threshold, you know. You can automatically right. say, okay, whatever takes longer than this, then I would generate yes. a test for that. Exactly right. There's duration. That's a good point. So you can also capture the execution time of of statements with with that. Because what JMC agent allows you to do, it lets you wrap a method, uh, um, and then it will, you know, the event duration will span the entire invocation time of that method. So that's what I did, for instance, for the execute query method. So I tell it, okay, this is the method you should wrap, and it will start the JFR event at the beginning of the method, and it will commit the JFR event at the end of the method, which then tells you, or it will show you in the JFR recording how long did this particular query run, actually. So, uh, the, uh, was it hard to be to build the JMC agent? So, so that's no. I should say it's JMC agent. That's not a project I built, right? So that's a project which is it's pa uh, part of the um, JDK Mission Control umbrella. Yeah. So even part of o Open JDK, if you will. And um, I contribute a, a few fixes. And so that's a ready-made agent, and then you configure it. So there's an XML-based configuration actually. Mm -hmm. um, so that's still old school, and you know with a schema and everything, so pretty good. And you configure it which are the methods you would like okay. to instrument and what are the parameters which your um, or the attributes which your event types should have so you also can capture for instance the parameters of a method invocation and they will be emitted into okay uh, so that is so, so you configure the gem the, the java flight recorder agent right to uh, exactly. to capture yes. methods and you probably use some kind of regular expression similar thing to say tell these methods are interesting for us Yes. Well, you need to. Yes. Yeah. You need to specify the methods. Uh, you know, with the parameter types and, and names and class uh, type and so on. And um, yes, then the agent will will take care of it and it will um, emit all those events for you. Then other way around, right? You could even with your JFR unit generate the XML. If you have a test and you say I'm testing this method, uh -huh. and uh, cre uh, create additional uh, events just for the method, so you could actually mm. do this. That's an interesting one, I guess. One could think about it, yeah. Um, worth exploring, I suppose. Because uh, now you have the nice annotations with the mm -hmm. with methods, and you say, I'm really interested in more information about this particular method. 
Mm-hmm. So what you usually do in unit test, you specify the method which has similar name or the same name as the production method. Mm-hmm. And with annotation, what you could do, you can generate, you know, a small input XML as a help for the right. GMC agent, and then it will emit specific events just for the method, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that could work. I mean, what I just find very interesting about this, you have really a powerful stack of all those open source tools, uh, which gives you all that insight, right? And you know, not long before you would have to buy, I don't know, uh, commercial APM tools, and now it's essentially it's part of the JDK or it's you know uh, layered yeah. projects, and you have a very powerful performance analysis. Uh, I would say the secret of Java Mission Control was the uh, J Rocket back then, right? And this was the JVM and. Uh, What's interesting with the mission control and JMC, uh, Java Mission Control or Flight Recorder, is that the they need the statistics anyway. So they're mm-hmm. gathering everything uh, for the optimization of the garbage collector. And if you pick the uh, the stats, it doesn't cost anything mm-hmm. or not a lot. It doesn't slow yeah. down the machine. And if you uh, did it right. before the instrumentation was terrible because the oh, bytecode yeah, yeah. was modified so it was not usable so this is actually what makes it make, makes it usable definitely i mean it's it's really i would say meant to be uh, always on right and of course yeah, it depends exactly. on uh, the amount of events you capture but um really uh, for instance you can do object allocation tracking co- in a continuous basis now because it's very efficient and co- it costs you less than 1% overhead so you just can keep this running in production and maybe you keep your recordings of the last 30 minutes or whatever, so you can analyze them if there's any uh, problems in, in, which show up in your monitoring, for instance. Mm-hmm. And what many people don't know, all this is open source, right? So whenever I talk to people about uh, Flight Recorder, uh, many people still believe it's a commercial uh, feature, uh, which it used to be, right? Uh, yeah. You had to unlock it. But since OpenJDK 11, and it's even got backported to 1.8, uh, it's all open source. So you can use all those tools. And um, yes, it's all there for you. It's great. So um, we're done with JFR unit, right? Yes, I, I think we are done with JFR unit. <laughs> okay, because now we have a family of open source project called Modetect. Exactly right, Modetect. So it's your Modetect... secret company, right? <laughs> well, it's my. Uh, oh no, let's say it's not my. It's a open source community of uh, different projects, which I happen to be. A part of, I would say. Um, and the uh, scope, I would say, is, you know, it's related to the module system. It's related to JFR. So like, uh, you know, JVM, Java, low-level related projects, I would say. That's that's the scope of that community. And yes, so as you were mentioning, Larry, um, that's something which, again, I actually built together with Andres Almire. So this is taking the Java module system and in particular, this notion of module layers for building plugin architectures. So as you were asking about plugins in the CLI, so yes, that's what Larry would let do you um, because, um, well, you know, so maybe I should take a step back. So if you have the Java module system, so by default, it's a, it has a flat module path, right? Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't make any assumptions about module versioning. Um, so you need to think about yourself how do you obtain the modules and what are the module uh, versions? And um, Larry essentially goes a step further because it lets you describe a layered structure of your Java modularized application. So what you do is you specify those layers and essentially layers, they correspond to class loaders and they provide you with isolation. 
you specify the contents of those different layers in terms of Maven coordinates, essentially. And then uh, Larry will download those um, Maven artifacts for the different layers, and it will build a layer uh, graph or layer hierarchy of that application. And now what you also can do is you can point it to um, plugin directories. So then you just can copy some jar into such a plugin directory and it will dynamically create a module layer uh, just for that um, plugin, so which means you can dynamically extend your application, uh, you can uh, add or remove a plugin um, and all that uh, in a very you know dynamic fashion. That, uh similar to NetBeans plugin module, right? Because yes, you mentioned uh, layers, so it was all... I, yes, I, yeah, right. Really. So there's some... Really, I mean, also there's some, you know, comparison, of course, to be made in terms uh, to, to OSGI, I would say, but it's much less feature-rich. feature, feature rich. It's, you know, really, it's taking this notion of module layers, which is built into the module system, and it makes it just a bit easier to use um, by means of those um, layer descriptors, essentially. Yeah, it's nobody's perfect. You're even supporting YAML, but you don't have to use it, right? So, uh, right. I, I think Anders <laughs> was making a push for it. <laughs> I, uh, okay, you see, you see, <laughs> and the next thing would be Larry will support Groovy. So uh, you have to already search, you know, for dot Groovy files. <laughs> Are you using uh, Larry for for your projects, or you just like no? It's it's um and to be honest i it lost a bit of traction um so i'm not using it uh, i don't have the need for it right now but let's say something like kafka connect which also has a plugin architecture right this actually could be built i would say on top of larry because um you know it would be a very solid foundation for that it would isolate the uh, it would isolate plugins so you could have for instance the same module in different versions in different layers, and they would not conflict. Um, it would take care of that uh, dynamism if that's what you wanted to. So you could build something like Connect based on Larry, um, but right now I don't use it myself. I believe Enres he did some exploration with the Java FX application where you mm -hmm. could add or drop um, Java FX uh, controls to a running application, and would then you know update the mm -hmm. view of that client. You mentioned earlier um, performance engineer, and I have to think about this the entire time because. Uh, what immediately came, I, I worked for a project and there was a performance engineer and his name was Vlad, but okay. he looked like the Terminator. <laughs> no kidding. He was a young guy, but he was, he was a really <laughs> strong guy. So really like a Terminator. And, okay. uh, and if someone was too slow, he just had to know, he ran all the, uh, all the performance tests and did the stats and, and, and diagrams. He came to the developers and just told, you know, this is too slow. <laughs> 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 this was what they said performance engineer he was also performance engineer this was really he's a really great guy and, and okay. he wrote also um uh, multiple articles i i have to to to, to try to find him again but uh th this was actually a perfect experience because this was a really a performance engineer this was you know okay. then, yeah he looked like and a if you were too slow you, you were terminated yeah uh, almost <laughs> right so then you had you had to make it fast of course right so this was what well, this was the yeah. deal and um nice. And regarding uh, JavaScripting, what I actually did before, uh, what I did right now, I had to copy some files with some uh, with some processing, and I say, okay, what I do, Python or whatever, or shell script, and I just pick Java and ran it as a shell. You know, you can, and and it was actually good enough. So it was faster than anything else. You can just um, uh, copy Java source code to a shell and 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 say this is uh, this is a Java code and this is executable, and you can run it from 
from from a computer, which is interesting, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, with the J shell command. But yeah, uh, you have heard about J Bank as well, right? From Max Anderson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, are you using J Bank in your projects? Yeah. Um, sometimes I actually. No, I mean, not sometimes. Is Casey Cuttle, Moditect, and or, or no? Are you so Larry? Larry is actually available via JBank, so you can do JBank Larry, and then yeah, but but you are not using Larry. What I what I so is so, like yeah, no, I'm I'm not using JBank myself because I don't have the need for it. But it's a cool project. I would we, say. we can cut it out, so no, not to make. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I think Max can survive it. Yeah, <laughs> Max angry. Okay, very good. So we have a Moditect. This right. is the yes, Moditech Moditect. This is like a yes. circular project. Yes. Uh, well, so the uh, Moditech Moditect. So that's the uh, that's the original project, as you say. So it has, that's the, the the starting point. That's essentially uh, you know some tooling for the Java module system. So uh, for instance, you can use it to build uh, JLink images for ah. your application. Okay. Um, you can also use it to um, add uh, or to compile module descriptors. So if you ever built or, or assembled a module descriptor, you, for instance, will know you need to specify all the exported packages, mm -hmm. uh, all the public packages, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what you can do with this Moditect, and it's a Maven plugin, by the way, or oh, that's also a Cradle task. You can use then, for instance, wildcards. So you can say, I want to export everything which is not under internal uh, wildcard. Mm -hmm. So everything but internal. And this would be a single command. And it will also help you, for instance, to you know, specify your requires clauses based mm -hmm. on your project dependencies. So it helps you. It's some guided author authoring of the module descriptor, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, earlier this year with um, Nikolai Parlock, I built something what we called um, application images. So it is um, J-Link images, but then you don't need to modularize your application. So that's something people sometimes believe in order to use the uh, J-Link images that you would have to fully modularize your application, but that's actually not true. What you can do is you can, you know, build a JLink image just listing the JDK modules which you would like to include. And then you can run on top of that on the class path, you can run your application. So that's again something which uh Moditech the Maven plugin supports. Um so you just tell what are my plugins or what are my J um JDK modules I would like to add and then it will bundle the application um you know with the JLink image and it will add your own application jars to the class path. So this is useful if you would like to create CLI clients without Corcus, right? For instance, right, or if you if you have any application you would distribute uh, to users without requiring a full JDK, um, you just want to you know ship a small subset of the JDK modules which you actually need, then you could use it. But if you have Quarkus, it wouldn't make a lot of sense not to use Quarkus, right? Yes, uh, right. But you can combine those things, right? So you can also, of course, run a Quarkus application on such a J-linked uh, JDK image. Maybe because I'm thinking if I would like to create, you know, something like, yeah, Casey Cuttle, the, uh, I would need to have a hard reasons not to use Pico CLI on Quarkus. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That, that's absolutely true. Because for something trivial, yes, I see this. So uh, let's say, you know, my, my, my shell script could be could become native image, then I would just fire up, you know, GraalVM and do it. But yeah. if I have Quarkus, then there is no downside because Gra uh, the Quarkus even optimizes all the dependencies. Absolutely, so. yes. I would always look for that. Yes, I mean, I find myself using Quarkus for even the most trivial stuff uh, these days because it just um, really, you know, gives you this nice dev experience. And so and, and uh, this year the Quarkus po popularity just exploded. So uh, I 
many are migrating to Quarkus and, and mainly Absolutely, because yeah. of uh, you know memory and constraints and startup time. So it is uh, it is nice to see that something Definitely. like this became as fast popular as as yeah yeah they did a, a great job with, with it absolutely okay perfect any other interesting project yes there's one more what i want to mention that's that's this oss quick start um which also is part of the moditech uh, project or mm -hmm. umbrella i should say and that essentially is a new version of a maven quick start archetype um ah, so okay. i always had that need you know i want to create a new project maybe just build a new demo and i always copied my existing pom files because I wanted to have the, uh, I don't know, the latest dependencies. I wanted to have a license plugin configured, maybe a formatting plugin configured. And that's what this OSS quick start archetype is doing. So it's a modern, fresh, uh, quick start archetype, which comes with all those things, right? So it, it defines all the plugin versions to the latest version. Um, it comes with the Maven license plugin. It comes with the formatting plugin. Um, it come, well, hopefully it is soon there should also be a, like a check style built in and, um, it can generate a module descriptor for you if that's what you want. So you have like a really solid foundation for starting a new uh, Maven project. And then there's also, for instance, um, you know, GitHub action workflow already part of it. So you can push it to GitHub and it will automatically have set up CI. Um, so that, that's the idea to give you a fresh, archetype for bootstrapping a new project um, which adheres to i would say the modern um, best practices so uh, th this is to understand it correctly so this project is a wizard which you create like maven archetype a, a kind of a wizard right. which will create fresh maven projects exactly right. with some useful settings right like the exactly. license Ex github integration and yeah. exactly right exactly right. but it's not like what it won't generate is like uh, you know the nexus integration or whatever where you can publish Actually, it should do that eventually. So uh, I want to make this more powerful and should you give some options uh, during the generation mm -hmm. process? Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, uh, there should be an option which then uh, configures all that release-related uh, configuration, as you say, like the Nexus okay. staging plugin and, uh, I don't know, maybe JReleaser from NRES. Mm -hmm. So you have that set up and all this uh, um, all, all the plugins you need for pushing a release to Maven Central. So this definitely should be part of it. It's not yet, but it, it should be part of it eventually. So uh, we covered all your pets, right? Yes, uh, all the all the current ones, let's say. All, all the current ones, which is uh, actually really great. And um, I, I will check the Casey Cuttle. So this is what I can use right now first. Okay, cool. And, uh, and it already sounds great. So I can imagine how it works. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and hope, I mean, so right now you would have to get the Casey Cuttle binary from GitHub so you can go to the releases of the project. But as I said, hopefully, maybe even next week, we will already have it on SDK, man, and then you can it, install it over SDK. Uh, also, are you also uh, support um, or releasing the Superjar version? For Casey Cuttle? No, yes. so right now we just publish uh, uh, the uh, native binaries. That's all. This is maybe a mistake because um, uh, uh, there is a competitor to Quarkus called Helidon and they had also a, a CLI and they just uh -huh. released the binary. And I thought, okay, what's going on? Is this like, you know, Go library or whatever? And this was, of course, uh -huh. uh, GraalVM, JLink uh, stuff. And uh, what I searched for it was the super job first, you know, because... Uh, okay. I would say just offer. I mean, you can just do this, right? Just offer this. As a, yeah, it wouldn't be a problem at all. Uberjar. This is what I will start with because it runs everywhere, you know. 
then you have to, yeah. to, to, to search for the right binary for ARM, right. Intel, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. I mean, yes, as you say, so for, we don't publish ARM binaries right now because you cannot easily build them on GitHub Actions. Um, so yes, we could publish the uh, um, Java version. You don't have to, you know, you say, okay, it's also available with a link and yeah. Exactly. But this is super, super easy with Quarkus. Yeah. Okay, yes, thank you. you. So it was nice to sync with you. Absolutely, anytime. So yeah, quite a few things going on. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you.